I don't get no respect. I don't get no respect. One time in an interview, I asked him, Rodney, why do you keep pushing in your work? You've already accomplished so much. And his answer was, I guess my biggest achievement has been making people forget their troubles by making them laugh. And then he just paused and said, I just wish someone could do that for me. That's a lot for a lot of people. We all struggle in life, though sometimes our pride keeps us from admitting it. Who's there to help us? And who gives us the ultimate help? Today, let's dig in and and consider the person of Jesus Christ a little bit. Probably done this a lot of times, but some of you may not. But let's just dig into this on this person. Maybe we'll get some, learn something, to do some things. Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God, and he invites everyone to come to come to him to receive forgiveness of sins and to join in and become a true follower of Christ. But Jesus made it clear that the cost of following him is high. In fact, it's extremely high. The cost of following Jesus is our whole life, giving our whole life to Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Let's consider these facts. All four authors of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us that Jesus, after a period of very intense ministry, went away with his disciples and crossed the Sea of Galilee by boat for a time of rest. But the people that he had been serving were so needy, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and they wanted to be with him, so they followed him really followed him, seeking him to receive his teaching and healing. And Jesus did not turn them away. Instead, he was compassionate, and he ministered to them. And the true record declares that at one point, he fed more than 5,000 people who had gathered to him, who had no food to eat, and who were stranded in a remote place. Think of the ice storm that just hit our nation recently, and of how so many people were stranded with no provisions. The situation was something like that, except in a much more different time and place than us. The disciple of Jesus, Matthew, recorded all of this miracle, and then he recorded what happened afterwards, another miracle of which he was an eyewitness. Matthew 14, 22 and 23 reads, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat of the disciples by this time was a long way from the land. And it was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's like really dead in the night. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. 
and said, it's a ghost. Uh, probably they said that because they never knew what to say about that. They cried out, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, I do, I do not. Do not, do not be afraid, Jesus said. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, come me, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus took him up on that. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Why is, is Jesus a son worthy? Why is Jesus a son worth serving? The answer here is, he watches over us. Think about that. He watches over us. He is Christ the shepherd. Have you ever heard that? Do you know what that means? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the figure of the shepherd is used to describe God generally. We remember Psalm 23.1. It's often read and spoken. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. A lot of times we just stop right there. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the Old Testament, that is a defining statement about God, and it's a, it is reinforced elsewhere in the scriptures. But the picture of God as, shave, as shepherd is also found in the New Testament as well. For instance, in the parable of the lost sheep, Luke chapter 15, in which the shepherd clearly represents God. But also very specifically in the New Testament, the figure of the, ship, of the shepherd is also spoken, not just of God generally, but as the figure of the, of the shepherd, it is used of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, John chapter 10, uh, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 20, we read, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. First Peter 5, 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd, the shepherd above all other leaders. He's called the shepherd of your souls. And in the book of Revelation, even, think about this. We don't really think about the Lord's 
uh, the, the, the Lord is our shepherd, and then we're talking in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, he's named the chief shepherd, the shepherd above all others of his people. And even in Revelation 3.17, it's said in regard to those who've been saved out of the great uh, tribulation that Christ in the center will be their shepherd. What does that figure of the short uh, of the shepherd convey? What's the meaning of that? Well, broadly speaking, it's this, that Jesus Christ is, is not only the one who cares about us, he's the one who cares for us. That is, like the truly good shepherd who takes care of his sheep, he's the leader who goes, uh, the, later, the leader who gives care to us, and he provides it to us. He takes care of his people. All of us? All of us? Scripture says, yes, all of us. In what ways does he do that? That's what this passage helps us to understand. It highlights his, it highlights his shepherding of our lives, and it teaches us to respond to him so that we receive the, the most benefits from his shepherding. For instance, we learn that as shepherd, Christ is our guard. You ever thought of him like that? Christ is our guard. He guards us from danger. And keeps us from destruction. First Peter 2.25 says that he is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And he does that in two ways. He guards us against external threats. Remember at Jesus' direction that the disciples got into the boat and they headed out across the Sea of Galilee toward the western shore? But a storm over the sea blew in and stopped their progress, and they were trapped there. In their boat, they fought against the waves for many hours in the night until they were exhausted and were at the end of their rope. But the scriptures tell us that he, that's Jesus, he came to them. He came to them. That in itself is significant. He, Jesus, came to them, but Mark the disciple also tells us in Mark 6.48 that he, Jesus, provided them a perfectly calm sea, and they quickly brought them all safely to their destination. So then we, we learn of the care of Christ, the shepherd. He watches over his children. You go, what children? Who's that? That's us. That's us. He guards us against external threats that would keep us from fulfilling his plans for his lives and for what is best for us. Psalm 139, 7 through 12 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand should, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the, light about me by, uh, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not, is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Think, of, think about this. We then need never fear because we're never outside of Jesus' care. Even should we suffer injury or, or die, He's there, and he gives us his care, and he will give us new life. Psalm 138, 7 and 8, 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me. You preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands, O Lord. The Lord will complete his purposes for our life. Whatever the threat, don't panic, but but persevere. Face the storm and trust God. Worship him. Depend on him. Don't be overcome by fear. The shepherd is on guard. The shepherd is on guard. So I was reading this just the, the last day or two. I was thinking about our dog. Our dog. We live in Prineville. We live up on a hill. We're in a good place. We've got a big backyard. And we got a dog. We didn't have a dog for a while. We have a dog now. She's a good dog. She's kind of a big dog. She's young. Sometimes she just takes off and runs away, and we have to go and bring her back and things like that. But you know what? She's a shepherd. She's not really, I don't think she's really a shepherd in terms of being what kind of dog. But she's a shepherd on guard. Every morning she gets up, she wants to go outside immediately. First thing she does, she goes out the back door on the patio, sits down, looks all around, looks all around, all around, all around, come back, sits down, sits up her nose, smells around, makes sure everything's okay, goes through the routine every time, every time. Shepherd's on guard, shepherd's on guard. He, God, will give us the aid we need. All we got to do is call on guard. So simple, right? Psalm 138, uh, 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Notice also God here. God, he guards against internal weaknesses. Verse 22 tells us that after the feeding of the 5,000, Uh, Jesus made the disciples leave for the western shore. That is, he ordered them to go against their wishes to stay. And John in his gospel reveals the reason why. See, the, the crowd wanted to make him king and march on Jerusalem to start a revolution against the Roman Empire. But that was not the plan of God, and Jesus would have none of it. His disciples, though, were quite open to the idea At this time, we know they misunderstood the mission of Christ and Christ's mission for his disciples. They were also distracted with power and material success. The atmosphere then was not healthy for them. So Jesus sent them away then to get what? To to get this, to protect them from themselves. That kind of helps for us some, doesn't it? Christ the shepherd guards his children against spiritual failure. And one of the ways he does that is by directing them away from influences and temptations greater than they can bear. They can bear. To benefit from his shepherding, then, what should we do? What should we do? Well, it's really clear. Follow his instructions. 
Follow his instructions. Leave where he tells you to leave. Go where he wants you to go. Always follow. Always follow his lead, even if his direction seems strange and pointless as it did to the disciples that day. His shepherding could only have effect if they were obedient. So, it's really simple. Do what he says. Just do what he says. He knows best. He guards. He guards. It's just that simple. As a sheep, as a shepherd leads and guides his sheep to where they might thrive, so Christ leads us to the places and the experiences that are the best for us. We can count on that. He called the disciples to be with him in his ministry, to share in his victories. What we see here is his guidance also means that he doesn't always lead us to places of ease and comfort. We like that. We like our ease and comfort, don't we? But he doesn't always lead us to places, uh, places of ease and comfort. After the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent the disciples out across the seas. Did he not know of an approaching storm? No, he, the Son of God, knew exactly what was coming upon that sea. Well, then why did, why did he send them there and then? Why did he send them out in that rough sea? Why did he not at least hold them back on shore somewhere? The answer is because he knew they needed the experience of the storm and of coming to them during it. Oh, we need that too, don't we? We need the experience of the storm. Previously, we know they had been in a storm at sea, and Jesus had helped them. But at that time, Jesus was physically present in the boat. But this time, he wasn't there. So they needed to learn of his power and care of them in such a situation. And that was critical to their future work in him. Mark also tells us this significant detail. When Jesus entered the boat with them, then the storm subsided. Mark 61, uh, 651 to 52 says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. With Jesus, for two years they had, been, they had uh, seen incredible displays of his power and goodness. Yet still they needed a greater understanding of what it meant for him. Jesus, regard, uh, Jesus guarded them to the experience they needed to get that understanding. You see that? God puts us in those places that, where we need to be to get understanding. Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote a number of books uh, about scriptures, from the scriptures, and uh, yeah, really some good, good stuff there. But Warren Wiersbe, writing about this very incident, he reminds us that there are, st- there are storms of correction and there are storms of perfection. Storms of correction, God uses to, dis- uh, to discipline us when we go astray, to get our attention and draw us back to him. Storms of perfection, God uses when we are obedient, yet still in need of further maturing. The shepherd gives to us what we need. One of the things uh, we learn from this is to trust the shepherd wherever he guides. Wherever he guides us, believe in his wisdom, believe in his goodness, 
in his perfect timing and continue to walk with him. Don't stop. Keep walking with him. Don't slow down. Stay up with him. The disciples, we can be sure, were quite frustrated and disillusioned, even angry at Jesus when they first encountered the storm and when Jesus didn't come more quickly. But in the end, they found him to be fully faithful, and they understood that this experience brought them to a critical turning point in their lives. Through it, they came understand, uh, to understand Jesus in a greater way as the Son of God, and they became more ready for the great things God had for them to experience and do in the, uh, in the days to come. Through the disciples, then, we learned to trust the shepherd. We learned to trust the shepherd wherever he guides, and to remember that there's a plan and a reason for where we are and what's going on in our lives. Can I just say that one more time? He guides and to remember that there is a plan and a reason for where we are and what's going on in our lives. God puts us in those places. In the words of Jean de Cassade, he said, he wrote this, he said, Everything that happens is either bread to, dur- bread to nourish me, soap to cleanse me, fire to pur- purify me, or a chisel to fashion in me the, lick- the uh, likeness of Christ. We should look for him in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in order to receive the instruction and blessings to which he's guiding us. In the Koine Greek language of the original New Testament, there's a way of saying the word if. We use that word all the time, if, if, if. In the Koine uh, language of, of the New Testament, there's a way of the word, and the word is if. If to express uncertainty. But at the same time, same word, there's another way of saying the word, if to express certainty. One of his uncertainty, the other is certainty. Here, Peter uses the, the latter. Peter, one of the disciples. He does not say to Jesus, I don't believe it. So if it's really you, command me to come to you. Rather, he says, if it is you, Lord, and indeed it is, or because it is you, or since, it, since it's you, command me to come to you. I think it's Peter. Think about Peter out there just telling what Jesus. Command me to come to you. Why did he ask that? Many have assumed that the worst about Peter, namely that he was often overly reckless, wanting to show off or to get a one up on the other disciples, and that he wanted a thrill and had no depth of character. But if we really under the scripture, look into the scriptures, we take a look here, there's no real evidence that, of that in anything Peter says or does in this. And even more sig- significantly, no word of abuse or correction about this came from Jesus, which surely would have been the case if something was amiss in Peter. To be sure, Peter still did, needed to grow in spiritual maturity. And he did have a tendency to be impulsive. But even so, we notice that he 
properly asked Jesus to call him out of the boat. He properly asked Jesus to kill him, to call him out of the boat. But why did he ask anyway? Why would he ask for something like that? It's been noted that Peter was a man who never did anything by halves. Whatever he did, he did it all out. And certainly that was true about his relationship to Jesus. Once he made the decision to be a disciple, he was totally committed. He was all in. Peter was, a ve- was very devoted to Jesus. Knowing that in Jesus there is light and life, Peter wanted to be with him and to experience Jesus to the fullness. He also wanted to do great things with Jesus and for Jesus. We should remember that Jesus had already trained the disciples to be bold in serving, and that he'd already worked miracles through them when they went out to serve him. Peter's request then was an expression of faith. Oh, how much of those have we tried? Peter's request then was an expression of faith, devotion, and desire to know, experience, and serve God in the greatest way possible. And the important thing to see here is that Jesus, the great shepherd, did not stifle that in any way with Peter. Instead, he said to Peter, come. Come on, Peter. Jesus consented, knowing that the experience would be good for Peter and for the other disciples watching. Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to experience and do what was on his heart and to receive the blessing of it. He did not withhold it from Peter. Christ the shepherd gives opportunity for blessing to his people. We then should not hesitate to ask Jesus and seek him for opportunities to serve him and experience his blessings. For he is a giver and he will give. Think that again. For he is a giver and he will give. Might, might not be what we want, but it will be the best. For he's a giver and he will give. You might say, well, okay, well, what about the caution here? Well, if you try this, you may get what you ask for. And with that comes this assurance. He'll give us the deliverance when we, when we fail. Jesus, that early morning, made Peter's ability to stop or to stay on top of the water dependent upon Peter's faith in Christ's power and goodness. Peter had that to begin with, but the more he noticed the stormy sea, the more he worried he became, and he began to doubt his safety. Losing his focus and faith in Christ, he began to sink. When he called out to Jesus, Jesus Christ saved him. Peter failed. Christ delivered. The shepherd, Jesus, gives the gift of deliverance. When we stumble, he picks us up. And then when he sets on the right path again, he helps us. Remember again, Jesus' words to Peter are sometimes read as a harsh rebuke, but they were not that so much as they words of instruction and encouragement. You know, sometimes when we get God in our face, it's because he really needs to be there. Think about this. Jesus' words to Peter are sometimes read as a harsh rebuke, but they were not so much as they were words of instruction and encouragement. With deliverance, the shepherd helps us to go and grow forward. We learn then 
When failure occurs, ask for salvation. When deliverance is given, don't give up. Go and grow. The shepherd will be with you, not against you. We thank you, Lord God, that you have taken the time. You've taken, spoken into our life. Lord God, you have many times put us in a great place. But there are times we know, Lord, that you've put us in hard places. But we know because he's the shepherd, he's the good shepherd. We know that, that he is all for us. We know that he takes time to learn about us. We know that he's kind with us. And he wants so much for us to have all that he wants us to be and all that we wants us to do. And if we do it, it's awesome. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And this day, this time, as we finish up here in this service, let's keep that in our heart and mind. And Lord God, I pray for me and for all of us. Many of these words have gone right through this sermon this day. But Lord, we know that you are kind enough to keep speaking into us. And so, Lord, we come and say, we'll listen, we'll learn, we'll grow. We thank you in Jesus' name.